Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined today by Jessica Ann. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh-huh. We had our uh, our casual pre-show interview thing, pre-session. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I'm be- being self-conscious about my peas. Um, but so we were talking about uh, how I, like heard of you um and that was from you were uh, a student at roosevelt right yes and there's a really strong actually like english lit alumni page that they seem to i don't i mean i don't know how they keep their information but they seem to post a lot when like an alumni mm-hmm. has something they like get a new job or like they start working somewhere and i saw that you'd recently published a book uh-huh. which is what we have you on to talk about the book is a manual for nothing, and I'm leafing through it, and it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit of like tell us a little bit about it. Well, it started as my graduate thesis mm-hmm. at Roosevelt. Cool. Um, so it's called a manual for nothing, and it's written in the form of a manual. So it's written in the second person. It's all numbered. It's like as it's written as instructions, you know, um, like in the same way that at, when you go to IKEA, you would like get a manual for your dresser. Mm-hmm. This is a manual for nothing, <laughs> <laughs> and it's about everything. Cool. Um, so it's a little Seinfeldy. Okay, yes. Yeah, Yeah. a little, like, Seinfeld, mumblecore, that kind of nothing. Cool. Mm -hmm. But then it's also a lot about identity, particularly female, gender, sexual Mm -hmm. identity, and also the identity of an artist, a performance artist, a writer, a girl writer, a girl who wants to be a writer. So it's for nothing but i think the overall point is that you are not nothing cool but it's for the part of you that feels like nothing or has been silenced to nothing or has been reduced to nothing it's like a balm for that part of your identity cool (laughs) cool um yeah so like what what made you want to do something like this? It just kind of happened, you know, I had to write a book for my thesis and I had nothing. And I read How to Become Oh, sorry. oh it's okay. Should I stop? No, uh you <laughs> No, we have the cat and and a dog. I think it might be the same dog have a really really weird interesting relationship. You have a dog? No, no, no. Uh, oh. There's a dog that because we're in like a, a weird. We mentioned this in the last show. Actually, uh-huh. we have a weird English basement, so we have people walk past all the time. And so if we leave the window open, gotcha. I'm sorry to cut you off for a cat do- and dog. No, story. it's okay. I thought like someone was coming home with groceries. Yeah, like you no, know how no. everything's a little disoriented mm-hmm. in the headphones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So yeah, tell us yeah. about yeah. Oh, okay. So and I was reading Laurie Moore. Have you read Laurie Moore? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. She is, like, a very popular short story writer from the... I think she was real popular in the 80s. Her really famous book is called Self-Help. 
Mm. And I think it was published in like 1984 or something. And there's an essay called How to Become a Writer. So I think, you know, a lot of like intro to creative writing classes pass it out like on the first day. That's where I got it in a class in graduate school. And I I I was I felt weird that I had never heard of it cuz everyone seemed to like be talking like they were so familiar with it cuz I think she is like kind of a household name. Mm-hmm. I just, somehow it just escaped me. And it blew my mind um this essay how to become a writer. Uh, it's like told in the second person and it's fiction, but I'm like, is it fiction? It mm-hmm. feels like her journey on how to become a writer. So, so I loved that I had nothing written. And so I just imitated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then it all just kind of started. And then, so that I wrote how to be a performance artist. She wrote how to become a writer i wrote how to be a performance artist because cool. i was writing about my experience as a neo-futurist mm-hmm. i did my whole 10 year six year 10 year as a neo-futurist in too much light every weekend and then i went to graduate school so i think i was constantly com- i went to graduate school for creative writing so mm-hmm. i think i was constantly comparing like writing for performance and that whole weird life that I had that was over to this new life of like writing dead things on Mm -hmm. the page anyway so it was all like swirling around so I wrote how to be a performance artist which I think like became like the crux of that the narrative in this book and then from there I was like okay well I have to make this a book so Everything I want to write about, I'll just write in the second person as though there are instructions. Like, you know, like once I found the form, then I could just run with it. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's so cool. And I think it's interesting because it, um, it actually kind of centers around a question we'll have sometimes for people, which especially when we interview someone that ends up becoming like our first interview of a, of a genre that we haven't yet interviewed yet, Mm -hmm. which is um, like when we had a graphic designer on, we had theater people on, um, we had, uh, I don't know if we've had other writers on, but basically um, when you, when you're looking at classical music or you're looking at classical singing, like we, we, like we both have in the past, um, you leave school and you go like, okay, what's, like, the next step? Like, mm-hmm. what's the next prescribed path? Mm-hmm. And for um, for singers, it's um, a young artist program, which is kind of like an internship at an opera house. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 the first thing I think of is this re- feels like both an, um, a reaction to that potential mo- thought process mm-hmm. of, like, what, it, what is next. Yeah. Um, but also a, like a shunning of it or like a something in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm uh, I'm interested in um you know like when you were in school for for English lit or for writing or for creative writing and you were thinking like what am I going to what's my life going to look like in even like 5 years like the mm-hmm. for, kind of like formative immediately post collegiate life. Mm-hmm. Um what yeah. did you think and like what ended up happening? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I like what you were saying about, like, when you put yourself on this track, like, as a, like as an opera singer, like, you have to do this, and then, mm-hmm. like, I think of, like, I remember being friends with, like, s- like musicians as kids, and it's, like, you do, so you start playing the violin when you're, like, two, mm-hmm. and you're the best, 
and then and you take private lessons all your life and maybe you go to a private art school and then like the thing that you have to do is do that like interlocking summer program right. thing and then you have to go to Juilliard right and then and then and then then and you then, get an agent then you yeah. make it at the Met and then you're famous and you're yes. making millions of dollars yes and, and that's just yeah. like and it's like if you if you take like one step like like a gymnast who like takes like one hop to the side and then they don't have the gold and then they and then the, everything they work for is gone. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like like you know if you don't get into that interlock and summer program, it's like you might as well just give up right. because right. Like you miss one beat, it's over. You're you're not that. Then you're something else. You don't know what it is. Maybe you're gonna be a barefoot. Mm-hmm. What's that guy? What's that Northwestern guy's name? But his nervous sick motions. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very interested though. Um, Bert, Andrew, Bert, uh, Andrew Bird, Andrew Bird, yeah, yeah. Oh, Are does he play barefoot? Yeah. <laughs> Two he, questions. <laughs> <laughs> He's barefoot. He's from Northwestern. Well, because I know yeah. he was Chicago based. I didn't know he was from Northwestern. I but because he was know. classically trained, wasn't he? I mean, his being barefoot does not surprise me. Because yeah. Andrew Bird is a weird, a, an odd duck. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, you have to wonder, like, what happened? Yeah. Where did he fall short that one day? Yeah. I also <laughs> well, love the idea that he only performs barefoot. Like, in his regular life, he's like, no, I don't care. Like, yeah. I don't have any personal morals on barefootness, but, like, when I'm performing violin, and like, because he whistles and, like, sings. And I like the idea also of, like, his agent approaching a venue and being like, so here's some things about, so here's what you can do for his green room. He has to have red gummy bears, uh-huh. and by the way, you have to sweep the stage because he only performs barefoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> My, anyway, so, um, oh, sorry, I have, a, I have an anecdote about preparing a green room. My mom works in the golf industry. Oh. Um, she is the, she does, like, some writing for um, the American Society of Golf Course Architects. Wow. Because she's very fancy. And uh, she was organizing, she's also in charge of membership and helps organize their annual meeting. And um, Arnold Palmer came to speak at one of their meetings and she had to set up the green room and the only requirements uh-huh. for the green room were that he needed to have two bottles of kettle one vodka <gasps> in the green room and that was like they were like we don't care about anything else it could be in a in a broom closet it doesn't matter there just needs to be two bottles of kettle one vodka in there wow 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 yeah. How for how long? I don't know. That's I like that yeah. sparks many a conversation of like how long was he in there? Yeah. yeah. Did the bottles get finished? Yeah. Right. Were they opened at all? Was this over the course of a day? Was it a week that he was like? I think it was just one speaking engagement, and he was just like, "I need two bottles, one for consumption, one for aesthetics." I don't know. That's my. <laughs> I could see it. Like I really need some vodka, and I just like the way two bottles. Work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Well, okay. <laughs> so we, I'm very pro tangent. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah. Sorry, I cut no, you off. No, 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 no. You go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was okay. I did do theater as a kid, and really felt like for a while there, I did put myself on a track, and then somewhere along the line, I got off the track so I I did theater as a kid 
and you know like community theater and classes in basements and then i went to the chicago academy for the arts and then mm. i did the summer program at northwestern mm. and then i i was just waiting for juilliard to give me a call right. and then they didn't and I, I really wanted to go to all of those top conservatories like all of them but I but no one gets in mm-hmm. and then and I still went to some conservatory I went to NIU for acting they had a BFA thing but mm-hmm. I think I had already decided like that it was all over and it was all nothing mm-hmm. no <laughs> pun intended if <laughs> not Juilliard then how else will I make it then yes. despair right. yeah. <laughs> yeah you know when you're young and you just think you're so good mm-hmm. or that you just have or I don't even know what the thinking is but it, you want like the recognition I can relate to that because I you know I was very much um like on the track to be like career singer mm-hmm. um I you know I started young I did programs when I was little um you know around Milwaukee my my teacher um, kind of touted me as like, like she's, she's 16 and she's so good. Or, mm-hmm. And I remember, I actually have a very vivid memory of turning 17 and being like, well, now I'm not special because of course I'm 17 and can sing and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Why do we tell kids that? I know. Mm-hmm. And then when you, and then when I got to school, I went to, I went to a conservatory and, I got there and I did my auditions and I wasn't cast in anything and I remember just like just the shock. Yeah. But it's like I'm Maureen Smith. Well, I was mm-hmm. the best at 16. I know. Don't I you was... don't you know that? <laughs> like yeah. I did so yeah. many master classes and everyone was so impressed by me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but no, that that crushing, you know, 18-year-old realization of like, well, it's all over. It's very real. Mm-hmm. It's that it's the the that weird mythology that I think you people older people give to younger people. It's like Santa Claus. Like mm-hmm. you lie and say that there's a Santa Claus. Like you lie that there's magic a mm-hmm. magic person with magic presence, and it's a complete lie. And you lie to them for a little too long, and then you have to tell them that you were lying to them. That it's mm-hmm. not true you weren't good you weren't special you don't get a prize mm-hmm. you know and then it's i think it's the same thing like you do a finger painting and it's like wow that's good like i really i really think it's not always good to say that your child is special right because yeah. they're not any more special mm-hmm. than any other person i mean yeah. like it, you know there's such a thing as as having a child who is like prodigious s- like smarter than the average child but yeah. i think that you need to kind of temper those compliments with kind of like the realism of like yeah you're smart but i mean like so are a bunch of other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also like maybe you're the top 20 or 10% in the world or something. There's still the 10% of the world that is also then competing for whatever. Like the population is so large that even if you make up like a small percentage of that population, like there's still so much in that. Not to mention the people who are perhaps lower, you know, have low, you know, their, their natural ability is lower, but they're going to work their work way harder than you. Or maybe they like have better, like more privilege and like Mm -hmm, have a more, have more income like their family does or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, NIU. So that was, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, I think I eventually had that realization that I wasn't amazing. Or I just, I heard for so long that I, I was good without really knowing, like, what that meant or without really having a vision of, like, what the end goal was. Just, like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And I think I wasn't really aware of my type like maybe I would did have a good stage presence, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I didn't quite realize how I looked. I didn't quite realize, you know, how in a conservatory, you know, yeah, there's the leading ladies, and then there's the character actors, and then there's just the cratchits, you know, mm. the kids. It's like I really didn't fit into any of the molds. Yeah. Like when you put me in a unitard and like lined me up in a row. Mm-hmm. I just like even if I was good, I still wasn't the I wasn't the star. So yeah. I think that was a huge realization of like being aware of my physicality. Mm-hmm. No, that's really interesting because it actually relates to opera really well because there's a lot of like they call it fox or they call it like basically like voice ranges. And um Sometimes not getting into a conservatory or not getting into anywhere, like we've learned this now, is um, just because they already accepted a tenor right before you uh-huh. or something like that. Like yeah. there's there's a plethora of reasons why like um, people don't accept people, but that's not what you tell kids. Instead, mm-hmm. is like, well, you're special, and mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and that's not what you hear when you get those rejection letters. No. Right. It's all you ever wanted. Right. You never pictured yourself any older than eighteen, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rejection. It's very sad for a young person. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately it is a good thing, the rejection part, to learn Absolutely. that you're always, it's just part of it. Like, yeah. If you're not getting rejected all the time, then you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And if you can't take it, then, well, then you don't have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, if you really can't take it, this is fine. Just, like just don't a, do it. There's a world of other things that you could be doing that are you know, you apply for a job that you're likely to get and then you go and you're ignored and you just kind of perform in a vacuum and it's fine and then you go home and you eat dinner and it's great. And if that's appealing to you, then you should do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise it's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, on the weekends, you know, you can... You find yoga and herbs and Be, join a softball league. Yeah, yeah. you know, like there's other yeah. nights you can do trivia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds kind of fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds low impact. Yeah, or high impact if if depending yeah on your needs. Yeah, you know what I mean. I um about two about actually about three months ago. I quit my office job. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been working there for five months. It was my first office job. Um, I was in customer experience for a coffee and tea distributor, mm. um, which I've been a barista since I was 18. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is the natural progression. I'm going to get in with this coffee and tea distributor. I'm going to start low on the ladder. And then I'm going to get up to be like a like a representative or like a spokesperson. Like I'm going to go yeah. around and travel to like trade shows and kind of like talk about what we do as a company. And I'm going to maybe get in with the training program where I can mm-hmm. train baristas because I've been a barista for almost 10 years. And you were like super interested in roasting and like sourcing of beans exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah. And so like I had the pedigree to do really, really well. But when it got down to the nitty gritty of it of like showing up and answering phones mm-hmm. and doing data entry i was like this is just not for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i wouldn't want to do that no yeah <laughs> <laughs>
So how did you end up starting uh, working with the neo-futurists? So I didn't actually graduate from NIU. Mm -hmm. I was there for four years. And then I just, just, at the end, just didn't do it. Just didn't graduate. Have you seen that Mike Daisy do his monologue about how theater failed America? He, I think he did the same thing. He was like out of school for four years and then just didn't do it. I, I remember so vividly seeing him on stage and he, like, he had his one hand in the air and he was like talking about the four A's just like, just, just didn't do it. Like that's how it, it was for me. Like I can't, can't tell you like one moment where I like stood on the desk and like ripped the buttons out of my shirt and said like, this is bullshit. I, and I don't remember like, I don't remember like talking to the dean, like this isn't working. I just, and I probably, if we looked at my transcripts, it's probably like half a credit. Like I was, I had done, I was like signed up for another semester. It was like just, it was like some technicality that if I just did one little thing, I would have gotten a yeah. BFA in acting. But I just got on a Greyhound bus and just didn't graduate. <laughs> That, that's all I got, and it's all such a depressing blur of cornfields. Like I yeah. can't. That's that's all, that's that's oh, it. Oh, that's out in DeKalb. DeKalb. My wow. grandma lives out near near DeKalb. Yep. It's a bummer out there. It's a real bummer. It's real trashy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah my, your grandma who's making her own house, building my her own house. grandma has just turned eighty, and she was talked into building a house by my uncle, and it's in Malta. You know what yeah. that is? It's not Marfa in Texas, is it? No, no. It, it's called it's called it's a town outside of Rochelle, which is like okay. twenty miles away from DeKalb. So it's like outside of outside of outside of DeKalb. Yeah, oh, it's God. this little town called Malta. Okay, and like I don't know why she's building a house like with her hands no she's having a house built okay yeah no it's not like she's out there like wearing overalls and like <laughs> yeah. and like laying a foundation and, and like making sure that the foundation is level and like no <laughs> that foundation would not be level no it would not be level <laughs> she would have a really crooked oh. house if she built it herself god that's bless a, her though that's amazing i like <laughs> I've known people that did four years and then just like, and like, and then left. I was like, that's so I, weirdly like more power to you. <laughs> like I don't like just to, just to know because then at that point it's just like no I just don't believe in this the like this is just conceptually not not working for me you know. Yeah, I think I just got fed up. It was everything. It was the town. It was the program. It was just you know that feeling. Like when you're when you're quitting a job or something, yeah. I was just like, I can't do this one more day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so. the last two weeks, the la- the two weeks after you put in your two weeks. Oh yeah. Is excruciating. Mm-hmm. Where you like you always have like all your belongings on you, like your yeah. phone and your wallet and your coat always on you because you might just like jump out yeah. the door. <laughs> <laughs> or like you're waiting for them to be like, you don't have to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I okay. Was yeah. I would mm-hmm. run. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great, though? That's but what they happened. They hold you to that. I piece. did telemarketing for a while, oh, being poor. I I'm doing that. Oh really? Did you work at Smart Marketing? No, I worked okay. at the CSO. Oh, I, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a worse experience. Uh-huh. This, like, it was 
I don't think any. I'm like weirdly being like, is anybody gonna ever listen to this? Because I'm about to like. Basically, the guy that ran the this, the uh, the wing of the telemarketing thing for the CSO had like serious emotional um, and like not in like a there's something wrong with him. Like I mean, he pro- he needed to see a therapist. Is I think really what it was, and he would just leave for like weeks at a time and just not tell anyone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and so then the assistant manager would be in charge, and then she was just like really aggressive she'd like be yelling at you on the phone while you while you're on the phone with someone trying to like close a sale like some 70 80 year old woman who's like being talked into getting too many concerts on her series for the cso Uh it's just a weird experience anyway it's weird but i quit and then they were like they were like you don't even need to come back i was like i can you i can come for two weeks if you need me to and they're like bye yeah (laughs) which is like great great love that (laughs) yeah yeah because when you quit you want to make a clean break right yeah exactly yeah cool so uh so i got on that bus came back back to chicago and i was like i have to do something so i took a class at the neo-futurists cool and it just so happened that like i was taking that class and then like they only have auditions for ensemble members like just like as they need them and it like just happened that as that class was ending they were casting women in the ensemble so like it just kind of was like luck and timing like oh you're like you you just did this class it seems like you like it auditions are coming up in a month and like i was so like new to everything and like a college dropout and kind Mm -hmm. of didn't realize quite exactly the presence that the company had in chicago so i think i was kind of fearless and just auditioned and got in yeah and then it was just like a crazy mechanical bull of a job where you're just like working 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 and the deadlines never end because it's that long-running show too much like makes a baby go blind so every week you write and perform and direct your own original two-minute plays just like Mm -hmm. very like high turnover lots of deadlines like lots of pressure so then i just like did that for six years and like oh my god (laughs) yeah it just kind (laughs) of happened right and then but of course hanging over my head was wait, I, I didn't graduate college, which is cool, but I kind of want to. Yeah. And, like, I had this moment on tour where we were doing, like, an East Coast tour. We were touring The Late Night Show, which is now called The Infinite Wrench, but at the time was called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind, 30 plays in 60 minutes. And we happened to be doing a show at Yale, and it was, like, we were at Yale and we we did too much light and then we taught a workshop and there was like a panel discussion kind of thing and everyone said where they were from and where they went to school like for some reason someone wanted to know like what's your what are you guys' educational background and my neo futurist friends are so smart it was like this is my name and I went to Brown and this is my name and I went to Northwestern yeah. and it was like, um, so I dropped out of state school and I'm Jessica Ann <laughs> and I'm at Yale and I just taught you. Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> and I think I did have a really good attitude about yeah. it. <laughs> like, That's whatever. Cool, but right. I still was like, I want to finish. Like, I work so hard, you know, I want to finish. So I transferred what i had to north park university which is right oh, around cool. here yeah. Gotcha. yeah yeah north park is cool i loved it it i picked it because it was the closest 
college university thing to my apartment and the theater company I was working at. Right. So it was all on the Foster bus. Yeah. And it could fit into my life. And I was like, whatever, English, creative writing emphasis. That sounds fun. And I loved it. And I like loved my professors and was like, their life looks all right you know they published a book or two and now they teach i'm gonna go to graduate school so then i got my mfa in creative writing at roosevelt cool where you also took one class Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean one class in the writing yeah 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 yeah. no and i'm very proud of that one class it was like we were i we finally i already forgot her name and and brigham was fantastic she taught the um american female authors novels literature what well, that's not the title of it <laughs> uh female authors in american literature that that makes that's a sentence yeah, yeah. and it was it was awesome i like still i like i recommend books from that course because that's how i learned about like jamaica kincaid and like Anne mm-hmm. petrie and like um the uh the trail of tears book that we were both trying to remember the name of right um and <laughs> tell me google yeah well we went through it was cool when you i was fortunate to, that i got to take a graduate course because when you take a graduate courses in english lit, and i think it was an like you could take it as an upper level undergraduate too um you just end up reading through like 10 or 15 books and it's basically just like mm-hmm. a hyper book club yeah yeah yes which which is awesome yeah. and then you would write a ton from it um, I love those kind of classes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was fantastic. I took a couple yeah. of those at school, too. It was my last thing I needed to do for my degree. I had one elective left, uh-huh. and I had done all of my music like reco- uh, 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 things. I was like done with all of my music electives, and I was like, I don't really want to do any more music stuff. I'm just yeah. going to take an English course, and yeah. it was great. Yes. Yeah. I am so glad you took it, and you yeah. didn't get on a bus, because right. that is a good class. Yeah. <laughs> No, it really worked out. Um, so I'm so I'm sorry that oh, you sorry. lived in DeKalb for four years. You know, in the spring and summer, it was pretty. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. There was a nice little path by the tracks, uh, you know, with a canopy of trees. Isn't there, like, a lot of train shit in that part of the state? There is a tra- There's trains, and there's a lot of restaurants called, like, The Junction, The Boxcar. Mm-hmm. Because I think in Rochelle, Jebs. there's like a train muse- train museum or something like that. Sounds familiar. My grandma what? talks about it. I'm sorry. I'm no, you're fine. What's that, that burger place that your mom likes with a funny name? Lucky Jets or something like that? But not jet. Like, it's clear it's not like a jet engine, think, but like the main she, jet. I don't think it's that she liked it. I think it's that it was convenient to watch the Cubs game at. Yeah. I just, I want to remember what it's called. Anyway, it doesn't like matter. We'll get back to Joe's it. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Something like that. I don't know. I just yeah, Whatever. I love weird names like that. Anyway, um, I'm curious. Uh, did your time working in theater? Uh, do you feel like that prepared you in a unique way for writing? I don't know if it prepared me, but it definitely influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I look at this book and think about like what made its way into that book it feels like charged Mm. to me in the way that like a monologue um you know it it feels like it has that that 
that ephemeral momentum to yeah. the writing where it's, it's almost like speeches and anthems mm-hmm. and like confessional you know writing right. like that um not as much i i don't think like narrative as a more seasoned writer would write um yeah so i think but then I look back at my plays that I wrote for Too Much Light, and I, I'm like, oh my god, that's what made it to the page? Yeah. Like, I've definitely grown on the sentence level. Like, when, when we when we write for Too Much Light, we do have to come to rehearsal with, like, finished, fully realized plays. But then, like, in in the process leading up to the show that weekend and then the time that that play is in the show it can change so much Mm -hmm. like you know you kind of like start editing it in your mind as you're memorizing it and then in performance it's always going to like change a little and the performance lends itself so much to the experience that you know so much of the performance isn't actually on the page and so then when you finally go back to look at your script it's like what like i can't call myself a playwright i mean i do but you know like it it morphs and changes so much wait okay Okay. i want to maybe you you explained this well when you first explained it but i just want to like better understand the um the way this went so you was it the week of that you wrote the plays that would be performed that weekend yeah, so it's the late night show is 30 plays in 60 minutes. Right. And the plays change every single week according to the role of a six-sided die. So we do the show. I saw I saw that you can buy tickets at the door for $9 plus the role of yes. a six-sided die. Yes. A tenet of the aesthetic is spontaneity and randomness kind of ish also D D ish yeah it's for nerds yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we play really... D a lot but anyway okay. sorry go ahead yeah um i forget what the question originally was i hope you know oh so you so yeah so you oh so we do the show and on friday and sunday we the an audience member rolls a six-sided die right and then those two numbers are added together and then that determines how many plays are cut from the existing show and thrown away and gone forever and replaced with new plays. Yeah. So every oh. Tuesday, it's like, okay, so we rolled a three and a two, so that's five, right? So then who's ever in the current cast, so say there's seven of us, it's like, okay, so between the seven of us, we have to come up with five plays. So you come to rehearsal. Everyone brings in about three or four Plays, and we have a process of proposing them and critiquing them and selecting them into the show. You know, it, you know, replacing what was cut on Sunday. And then we have from Tuesday to Friday to memorize those, you know, cast them, direct them, uh, get all the props, all the music, all the choreography together for an audience on Friday. And Saturday and Sunday, get it, and then yeah. and then and then repeat week after week, random number. And this is your job. When you're there, you get paid two hundred dollars a week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that's what I live on right now. <laughs> People always Something ask me that. Something similar to that. Yeah. Speaking of which, donate to our show. Yeah. Um, 
That's so cool. Well, yeah, and I guess the reason that I was going here was because, like, that's so different than preparing a book. Like, uh-huh. as far as, like, quality of writing, I'm sure, is well, concerned, Well, and it's too. also, it's probably also, not probably, it's different from, like, the conventional theater track of, like, preparing, mm-hmm. like, knowing that you're doing a role months in advance, preparing it, you know, doing character study, you know, figuring out, like, you know, finding the character within yourself for months and months and then the rehearsal process and then a long run Mm -hmm. and just the idea Mm -hmm. just like how because you went from from theater conservatory Mm -hmm. which was four years of just deep because that's conservatory is Mm -hmm. like four years of just deep intensive character study and performance Mm -hmm. and stripping you down building Mm -hmm. you back exactly and how was that shift from that like deep intensive like study to just kind of like all right well we gotta get it we gotta get rid of five of these plays and then come up with new ones oh it's so liberating (laughs) it's so cool like you can't you can't be too precious with your work or your performance like it's it's raw it's you're it's an experiment it's experimental theater so you're encouraged to fail and fail big and Mm. constantly be it's a malleable thing that's constantly changing and be not necessarily being trying to get better like there's no end goal but just the just making sure that it can always change like making sure that it's never stagnant which is so so cool compared to like yule brenner you know (laughs) like setting a character and doing it over and over and over and over again that was so frustrating to me in at that conservatory level because there was no creativity mm-hmm. and as a kid i think i was interested in expressing myself and being creative and mm-hmm. having a place to play and and be quirky and silly and that reminds me so much of something that i feel like i've been frustrated with with classical singing for a long time and this is so not relevant but it kind of is we have to have and i wonder if this is true for actors too if they have to have this we basically have to have like a suitcase of arias they call it your five yeah that like Mm. are diverse from each other but like most people pick them like you know when they're 24 and then they keep the same ones until they're 35 and that's your audition exactly so what you do i have my comedic piece in my Shakespeare exactly. yeah, yeah and it's and you have to have you have to have a French you have to have an Italian you have to have a German you have to have an English and then probably you have another Italian yeah unless you're like a French specialist or a German like and then you choose mm-hmm. and then you have just kind of like one one for free mm-hmm. um, and one of them is your starter and then the audition panel can either just hear your starter or you know, or they'll ask you like, "Oh, we'd like to hear, we'd like to hear your uh, your massinet." Right. We'd love- but it doesn't make any sense because when you're hiring someone for a role, you're not looking for them to to sit, perform for you the thing that they know best. You're looking for them to learn a bunch of recit, learn a couple arias in a in a potentially two month period of of learning it, and then a, like a couple week rehearsal period. Like it just it's not it's not logical. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, anyway, so I guess it's satanic my... devil torture. Yeah, yeah, they it's just gross. want you to be in pain. Right. <laughs> I guess yeah. the only thing I can it's think sadistic. of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the audition process, I think, across the board is flawed. Yeah. I think it's a lot of people who like being in power and like yep. being mean. The <laughs> classical music one has gone, or the opera singing 
the classical singing one, because I don't think that instrumentalists have to do this too. But um, we have to pay for our auditions. Oh, hmm. How do you We're, feel about that? It's kind of oh. like sometimes when you submit work or like writing, sometimes right. there's like an entry fee. Yeah, we have to do application fees where actually you're not even necessarily paying for an audition. You're paying to for the privilege to be considered for an audition. Oof. So um, for young artist programs, there's a season that you apply for those. Mm-hmm. And with all those applications, you submit recordings of yourself and an, an application with your resume and an application fee. Um, my first year applying for young artist programs, I applied to 15 young artist programs and probably shelled out about $500 in application up. fees. Mm-hmm. And I got five auditions mm-hmm. that I had to travel to New York for. Yeah, and it's one thing if you know that your application fee is going to like pay a pianist or like take mm-hmm. care of... But they're not. But, but mm-hmm. if it's like 80 to $100 for an application fee, it's like, this isn't... This seems very steep. I've yeah. never paid, like for submitting my writing, I don't think I've ever paid more than like $25. Yeah. And it's yeah. usually for like a nonprofit. And that That's is stiff. different. Yeah. yeah. Right. But like uh, the fucking, sorry, F. No, 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 no. We can curse. Ex- explicit. Okay. You're good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, like IO. Love IO. Great, you know, Hallmark, Chicago. Right. Yeah. But there, I don't even, maybe it's not IO. I think it's IO where you have to pay to play. Like you have to. You have to, you, like, you pay. Well, I think that is, like, a stand-up improv thing, though, yeah. sometimes. Well, because mm-hmm. you have to get in, you have to go through the classes, mm-hmm. which for which there's tuition. Yeah. Um, that's the same thing with a lot of young artist programs. They're called pay-to-sings. Yep. Where you, well, you get yourself to Pittsburgh, and then you mm-hmm. you pay tuition of, like, upwards of $3,000 mm-hmm. for six weeks. And but then, then you pay also have to pay for food while you're yeah. there. But then there's also a lot of th- similar things, especially now in Chicago, that are similar to, and maybe I think New Futures actually sounds like an even, even better setup to, than, to what we would call, like, I wouldn't necessarily call New Futures storefront, but um, we call it that, like, grassroots, yeah. kind of, like, locally made, made by performers kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, were those... Non-equity. That, yeah, right, 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 A dump right. above a funeral home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, where that exists... Um, (laughs) and it's interesting to me especially looking at from what I understand now about the new futurists is it sounds very similar to that because it's the difference between like uh, a person who got their doctorate and then had like an okay performing career and then needs more income Mm -hmm. so they start a summer program Mm -hmm. that they end up can they can charge four thousand dollars for students for it I obviously I'm sure that there are some programs that are fantastic I don't mean to sit here and make a blanket statement that all summer programs are a a scheme but most summer programs are a scheme yeah I mean there are some Mm -hmm. really good ones that you know like I feel lucky that the ones I did the first one I did was like kind of a self-care centered one which was really good yeah and then the second one I did actually didn't cost as much um Mm -hmm. like I think I paid like fifteen hundred dollars for it as opposed to like four thousand yeah um which was pretty good so yeah but I think that a lot of them are a little I think that a lot of them use their summer program to fund their season. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that's an interesting yeah. parallel that um like if you hire on if you bring on 20 singers and charge them each $3,000, there's your season budget. Yeah. Yeah, that does seem kind of greasy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Absolutely. And it's harder to with 
with opera, and I don't know if I'm sure that there's a level to this with theater too, um, because there's so many people that want to do something or they want to be able to add roles to their resume or mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, oh yeah, they're willing to do it because they didn't get the roles when they were in college or whatever. Um, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that as a concept. It's it's more of the structure. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to go back to your book. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the process of getting this published? Oh, yeah. Um, it's all kind of a blur. But, okay, submitting your work is really easy. You just It's like on the internet, and mm-hmm. you just like upload, click, send, here you go. Like auditioning, you know, you have to have like your outfit, and you yeah. have to take the, the whole day off of work. Off of work! Right. You lose that money because, you know, that you would have made at your stupid job, you know. Because you, like, you need the day because you have to take, like, a long shower. You have to, like, prepare. You have to, like, iron your blouse. You have to, like, get there, you know, an hour early. They might ask you to stay. Okay, so it's, like, a whole day, you know, auditioning. And it's, like, hell because you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And you're in a hallway <laughs> with, like... 25 people who look exactly like you Mm. and who hate you and want to murder you, you know, and vice versa, I guess. I don't know. Like, no one's... You're supposed to want to murder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's such an ordeal to, like, be on, like, an audition. So, I loved the process of, like, I had this thing that I felt was, like, ready to send out. And then it takes three seconds to, like, send it out. So freeing. So, I think... I think some of my colleagues, I did see them get a little nervous of like, oh, I don't know if I should send it here. I, I don't know if I'm right for this press or I'm nervous to send it here. I'm like, fuck it. You just, just, just send it to a hundred places. You, yeah. You're not going to, you don't feel anything. Like you feel no pain. Cool. So that was cool. I, I got a lot of help from my professors. You know, I have to say, they really did know way more than I knew about the publishing industry, and they knew, like, which ones I would be good for and which ones, mm. you know, would be interested in my work. And I had never really heard of any publishers. So, yeah. And I did notice that the ones my professors told me to send to, I was a finalist. So, like, they act, those places were considering mm-hmm. my book, and the ones that I just found on my own, I got rejected right away. Mm-hmm. So, that's my advice to people like getting their MFA is like, definitely listen to that part of the exit interview. Because like, your teachers have published books and they know they're like best friends yeah. with all of them, so they'll know. Right, and even they know the history of what's been published recently, probably. Like yeah. that's what I've noticed. So wh- my day job, actually, I work as a musicology assistant at the University of Chicago, and so I work a ton with. Specifically, right now, I'm I'm cataloging someone's library, and they have like this extensive personal library. And so like I just spend a lot of time entering publishing companies for for music t- textbooks and music uh-huh. scores and stuff and so you see start seeing like oh this is a weird new york offshoot publishing company that did like 10 very similar things in a five-year period and then uh-huh. ran out of funding i guess or something uh-huh. and it, so it's that i it, i guess the only way though that you would know that is being in it you yeah know? having your pulse on the pulse mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
it was cool though i and this was i guess i finished this in 2014 because it was my thesis and that's when i graduated and that like that little moment of like printing it out and looking at it and putting it like in the mailbox of the person that had to like sign it and stamp it like that was the moment in this process that i felt the most happy that's when I, I i like saw it i remember like looking through it and being like oh this is kind of good like i think i wrote a book yeah <laughs> like i really i really was like proud and i was like and i get like a whole master's degree out of this and you know i don't have the best track record so <laughs> i was like really proud yeah and then and then it took like nine months after that before it got I don't know what the word is. Accepted, picked up, uh, ready to be published yeah. by a publisher. Yeah. Um, and so every time it was rejected, I would play with it a little. Right. Like I would just kind of go in there and tinker. And then I never knew if I was like messing it up more. Or I was get, and it was also, I just get kind of bored with it. Cause right. I was also trying to write new stuff. So that part was kind of messy. But I wasn't going to like not keep working on it. Mm-hmm. And then, so this is like 2015 when it got accepted. And so that was a two-year process. You follow me? Because mm-hmm. it's 15 and this is 2017. Yeah. yeah. So it was like so much waiting. It was like, okay, you have a book coming out in spring of 2017. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, <laughs> like, it was just like, it's just like how they organize, like, their their catalog, their series. So I didn't have anything, I didn't start working with the editor for a whole year. And then we started working, and I love editors. Editors are amazing. And my editor, Emily Kiernan, is her name. I loved her, and she was so helpful. And it was, like, not just little stuff, but it was, like, if you want this to be, like, more traditional fiction-y reading experience, you might want to go back to this and this thread and wrap this all up. So then I had, like, all these assignments I was working on, like, new little parts of the book, and I, like... I loved it, like, like rounding it out into, like, something mm-hmm. that... Because she was, like, my... I mean, I had my thesis advisors, and they were great, but then it took another shape. And she was really, like, an outside eye, like a person that I never met, I never will meet. She lives in Pennsylvania. So she could really make it, like, really good from, like, yeah. a fresh... I really feel like she wrote half of it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I recommend editors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had an editor at when I was writing for the school paper and it was obviously nothing like that but it was so weird I never met her she was at the school same school as me but I never met her but like it Whoa. was it's that same thing where like you send something in and then you get notes back and uh-huh. and it's just like it that's you learned so much from that experience mm-hmm. too like yeah I don't know because you can't really read your own no stuff. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. and now and now you're acting as editor for, for yeah. No, for like, so we have three wings to Scopy. We have Scopy Radio, which is this. Uh-huh. We have Scopy Studio, which is a performance outlet. Uh-huh. And then we have Scopy Magazine, where uh-huh. we publish articles. Arts journalism specific, because that's really cool. the only thing I feel comfortable saying that I'm credible enough to do. Um, <laughs> print or online? Online. I, we're, I'm interested in print, and I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm trying to think out how that would work, and I think we'd need more frequency. Mm-hmm. We had um, four to six, like, a four to six article issue 
issue when we first started it that was a, like a digital issue and i basically treated it like this website is the entire issue and like you can go through the the, the website and that's mm-hmm. so it was very much that and it was obviously it was super cheap that doing it that way and that's kind of why i did it like that and then i like a year later um completely revamped the website and did it again like over the summer um but now we're just kind of like regularly uploading to the website when mm-hmm. we have articles come in like i have we have like a craigslist ad set up for people that want to write arts journalism mm-hmm. um we have an article coming in probably next week yeah we got a submission for like a breakdancing competition yeah cool so some guy's gonna go cover that for us cool yeah but if we had if i if we had like monthly enough for like a four like article monthly or even like a quarterly i would definitely be interested in putting some of because we are just now starting to actually get like a working budget Uh so like that's something that because the other side of that too is like if you have a print issue sorry that i'm like all of a sudden going into like nuances of how this podcast can work i mean we're getting toward the end i like oh um that's uh, like a flyer almost or like a, uh-huh. you can hand that out and, yeah. and be like this is what we're about like, yeah, like oh you mm-hmm. want to know what we do this is what we do uh-huh. right uh-huh. as opposed to like here let me pull it up on my phone yeah <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah it's nice to have an no. object yeah, Absolutely. yeah. No, when, when Jessica came in she's like I have the book with me <laughs> it was great and it looks great it is does look great and it also the way that so uh so which what's the publisher Naomi Press? No Emmy. No cool. Emmy Press. Yes. No Emmy Press. Cool. cool. Yeah. And so they probably, because the way that it's designed, too, seems very much, like, inspired by the nature of it. A manual, right? Right. Like, yeah. if you, like, glanced at it at first, would you be like, oh, it's for cars. That's my no. dream, yeah. is that, like, like 500 years from now, there will be one copy left in the world, and it will be, like, at an antique store with, like, manuals for, you know... A for- 2015 Prius. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Cool. Um, no, and I'm just like I'm looking at the f- I'm I'm a big fan of um, like published poetry and um, especially the f- page formatting that goes along with that. And looking through it, I'm seeing a lot of that. Like there's a, you know, uh, you like to start rumors and spread lies and tell the truth and help the boring and confuse the very s- the every single body. Then there is a you see a t- and just like there's a lot of. Playing with formatting. Playing with formatting, which is... Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that's that my thing. Cool. Well, then yeah. then I like your work. <laughs> I like your work. Oh, oh thank oh, you. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, we've got a few minutes left. So the last thing we do with all of our guests um, is a minute plug for anything they have upcoming, anything they've... This is our first potential book plug. You don't have to plug your book. We we said that we can talk. You can talk about like a self care thing, like a book you're reading, oh. a TV show if you want. To. You can also talk about that. But anyway, okay. sorry. Yeah. yeah. What a minute. Whatever you want to talk about. Um, please read a manual for nothing by me, Jessica Ann, published by Noemi Press. Um, you can buy it at a bookstore, or you can buy it on Amazon. Or I think the best way to buy it is to go to the Noemi Press website and get it directly from them, and then everyone wins, and it comes right to your house. Um, Yeah, tomorrow night I'm hosting the HCL Open House, uh, High Concept Laboratories Open House in uh, Pilsen. 
Uh, you can look it up online. <laughs> I know very um, little about high concept labs, but I just love. I can tell that I love what they do. It's very similar to my experience with neo futurists up until this, up until now. It seems like very close to your guys's mission statement. Yeah, to, like supporting artists and paying artists. Right. And yeah. Loving neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm reading at Roosevelt University on Tuesday at 5 p.m. and I'll cool. have copies of my book for sale there. Nice. Um, and I'm reading at Unabridged next month, an Unabridged bookstore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale right now, and it's really good. Oh, with Elizabeth Moss? With Elizabeth mm-hmm. Moss. I love Elizabeth Moss. Right? I was saying that last night to my husband. I was like, she's a big part in this. Like, she's not Peggy Olsen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so far. Although, like, I, I love Peggy Olsen. Oh, sure. Yeah. She wins. Yeah. In the end. Absolutely. You know. She does not win until the end, though. The very end. <laughs> Clawed her way back. Mm-hmm. Like, the last scene. And you're like, oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and margaret atwood you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, shout out to margaret atwood yeah really yeah so that's important well shit cool oh um, and uh if there's any seconds left yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. america you should see the infinite wrench at the neo futurarium oh yeah it's the corner of foster and ashland um friday's uh yeah, Fridays and Saturdays at 11.30 p.m., Sundays at 7. It's an ever-changing attempt to perform 30 plays in 60 minutes. Cool. It, it, it's the best thing in Chicago. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's right around the corner. It's we right haven't been there. Yet. Yeah, no, it's yeah, ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. Um, my, okay. aunt, my aunt lives down the street and has, and has lived down the street since, like, 2000, and so whenever we would see her... Like, whenever we would visit her, we would go past the Neo... And I just saw the sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that why there's a baby on mm-hmm. the sign? Yeah. <sighs> it's a baby. Yeah. That's <sighs> the logo. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, social media? Uh, I know that uh-huh. the Neo Futurists are on social media. Uh-huh. Um, do you have, like a, like, a Facebook page, Instagram, that people can yeah. keep up with what you're up to? I'm on all that. Yeah. And I have a I have a jessicaannwriting.com. Cool. Um, if you go there, you can find all my social musings as well. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, 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 no problem. Cool. Um, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. <laughs> uh, you can. There are tons of ways to keep up with what we're up to. I actually just wrote an article on collectivism in music uh, groups. There's a better title on it of it on yeah, the website. It's very, um, it's very like catchy. Yeah, so that's exciting. I've I've mentioned it especially because in the last two weeks you've heard me always plug the website and go, yeah, older articles there. So there's new a new one. one. New one. New Check one. It out. Um, you can also find us on social media. Uh, you can find us on, I didn't actually plug the website, scopymag.com, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G.com. I'll get back to um, that. You will. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Scopy Magazine. You can find us on Instagram, at Scopy Mag. And you can find us on Twitter, at Scopy Mag as well. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. Uh, we run on a shoestring budget. Um, we you know, would love to be able to do more. We'd love to um, increase our budget for hiring on um, freelance writers. Um, Right now we're able to offer a small stipend. We would love that to increase. We're also working on our summer concert series. Um, We are in talks with some venues um, that would be um, low cost to free. 
basically we're trying to do this as low budget as possible but there is naturally going to be some expense with putting on 15 concerts this summer so um if you go to scopymag.com if you go to our about section um become a monthly subscriber uh it will afford you some unique opportunities such as being able to come to our apartment when we put up performances here um i'll make hummus we'll probably get wine we've got cats here Mm -hmm. really it's going to be and then we'll probably just all hang out afterward because that sounds fun so um yeah if you become a monthly subscriber as low as five dollars a month you get to hang out with us and eat food i make so and daniel will probably make something too yeah but become a monthly subscriber Mm -hmm. um yeah Give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. Oh.